Hello everybody and welcome to Kane and Rinse Volume 12, Issue 566, Metroid, Zero Mission. Joining me, Rich Davison, in Issue 566 are Ryan Zhao. Hello. Leah Haydu. Pew, 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 and, <laughs> and Brian Edwards. I'm here to drop truth bombs, super truth bombs, to reveal the whole, I don't, I got nothing. I'll go Can we Leah's call you pew. Mother Brian today? You could oh, be. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> Comic, common misspelling, good. Mother Brian. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, by now, obviously, um, uh, a spoiler warning feels fairly perfunctory, but if you would like to know the, the plot to Metroid Zero Mission, I recommend that you pause the recording and go and take a crack at it. It's about a six-hour long game if you approach it with uh, no prior, prior information, um, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Um, other Kane and Rince Metroids, we're now deep into the Metroid lore here, and we've got a couple of them, but I think what I'll do is I'll curate a few for uh, nice companion pieces, so if you're interested in the original Metroid, I recommend checking out issue 480 for, for Metroid on the NES, issue uh, 506 for Super Metroid, and issue 544 for Metroid Fusion. Other Metroids are available. So, to kick off, what is Metroid Zero Mission? So from nintendo.co.uk, I have to imagine it's the same as nintendo.com, Metroid Zero Mission is a side-scrolling action-adventure game familiar to the Metroid series, employing gear-gating, boss battles, and sparse narrative. A reboot of the 1987 original game, Metroid Zero Mission features completely redesigned environments, based on original maze-like levels, but enhanced with new features like Morph Ball, launches, and zip lines. It's crawling with vicious new enemies and bosses too. Uh, just for fun, I think what we'll do is we'll kick off with a nice light conversation here about whether or not this is a reboot, a remake, or a retelling. So, uh, Brian, <laughs> not to throw you under the bus this early on, what, what do you think about that? It's, it's something that's come up fairly recently among probably 2022, 23, where we've had a, a million of these reboots, remakes, or retellings. Yeah, so I guess this would fall into the category of a remake for me. Like, if... um. If if we're going down the the remaster remake reboot all that stuff like uh like a remake is is kind of building the the first game again from the ground up but then making significant changes or maybe in some cases insignificant changes to you know gameplay layout and 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 things like that I would say that um much like the Final Fantasy Final Fantasy VII remake <laughs> they called that a remake but still made huge changes to it so um I see this as a remake of the original Metroid that's the way I that's the compartment in my brain that it occupies so um lot to cover here so we'll canter through some of the the credentials here so metroid zero mission publisher is nintendo of course and the developer here is the famous or infamous nintendo r&d one director is yoshio sakamoto who of course is the director of the original metroid and the artist and is a stalwart of the metroid series the only thing that he hasn't uh, contributed to is of course metroid 2 return of samus on the original game boy Producer is Takahiro Izushi uh, from a significant amount of Game Boy, Game Boy Advance games such as Pokemon and Wario Land. And of course, the, the famous Satoru Iwata, Nintendo's executive president uh, and uh, well, the fourth president of Nintendo and an all around Nintendo legends. Uh, the artists are Takayashi Morisawa, who is, of course, returning from the Metroid series some Fire Emblem Awakening in this case and Xenoblade Chronicles. Tadashi Matsuhide from the Metroid series and WarioWare Touched, and Fumiko uh, Miyamoto, which is a, another uh, stalwart of Nintendo Game Boy games such as uh, Pokemon and, and Wario Land. The writer of this is the same as the director, it's Yoshio Sakamoto, and the music is by Kenji Yamamoto from, again, many of the Nintendo R&D 1 games from the 80s, such as Punch-Out! and the Metroid series. And of course, we've got a, a guest composer here in Minako Hamano. 
So, uh, originally released in 2004, uh, had a, a bit of a kind of staggered release in Nintendo, sorry, in North America on February the 9th, in uh, Australasia on March the 19th, in Europe, April the 8th, and Japan, interestingly, May the 27th. So Japan got that last, but China, I gather, did actually get this some year and two months later in 2005. And Metroid Zero Mission did get a, a release or a re-release, as it were, on the Wii Virtual Console across the 2014 to 2016 uh, era. So in terms of sales uh, from VGCharts.com, uh, as of 2021, it's very difficult to kind of get a sense of exactly how many digital sales have been pushed. But this this is a 0.84 million, which is, is not great from, from a Metroid standpoint. And Metroid, of course, is itself not great from an overall Nintendo standpoint. That puts it 10th in overall sales of the Metroid series under some big hitters, um, Super Metroid, uh, Metroid Prime and such. Uh, an interesting point of comparison here is when compared to Metroid Fusion, which is its contemporary, it sold pretty much half of what that, set, that sold, which was the, the fourth highest selling in the series and released two years earlier in 2002. Looking at the reviews, it has an aggravated, excuse me, aggregated score of 89% from Metacritic from 50 critical reviews with an 8.9 user score. Um, when compared to the original Metroid, as of 2023, that has a critical score of 50, 58% or an 8.3 user score. So it seems as though the general consensus is that this is enjoyed a little bit more than the 1987 original. We'll launch straight into some correspondence here from Alex Hopwood, uh, who writes, uh, While many will place the Super Metroid among the all-time great games, I rarely see Metroid Zero Mission mentioned in these conversations. I suppose this could be chalked up to the fact that not many people have played it. It sold less than 1 million physical copies according to VG Charts, and the only virtual console that's been on so far is the Wii U. However, pound for pound, I put my money on Metroid Zero Mission as one of the all-time greats. Not only does it have your typical Metroid vibe of being always and always outnumbered, never outgunned Bounty Hunter in a series of biomes dripping with atmosphere, but it also has a streamlined campaign, revamped controls, including the ability to grab ledges, and incredible spine-sharking puzzles that had me grinning from ear to ear as I crawled, sorry, as I Metroid crawled my way to 100% completion. Well, let's have a quick look through the history. Ryan, I want to come to you first because I know that this is the first Metroid uh, Kane Rinch show that you've been on. So I wonder if you can kind of give us a brief kind of summation of your relationship with Metroid up to this point, please, as well as your history with Zero Mission. Actually, I think I was on the Fusion so recently. I, now I'm having a hard time remembering myself. Maybe not. I don't. I, you may well have been. <laughs> it might have been. Uh, they all kind of blur together after after almost a decade of working with Kane and Rince. Um Yeah, so I I recently played uh, Zero Mission. I, I beat it early January of this year, so I, I must have started it kind of late in December um, over my kind of winter holidays. And um, mostly because I had gotten all of my kind of emulation setup going on my Steam Deck. And it's just a wonderful place to play a Game Boy Advance game. So I've been playing some Mario and Luigi and Advance Wars and some, some wonderful stuff uh, on the um, on the very pretty and convenient Steam Deck. So um, yeah, I, I played through Zero Mission. Um, I, I have kind of a scattered history with the Metroid series. I have played most of them to some degree, but I realized that i hadn't finished nearly any of them i had finished super metroid but that might have been the only one at the time and so over the past few months i've been just kind of playing through the series as i go uh fusion zero mission uh prime 
Prime remake, uh, not in any particular order, but um, even the yeah, other M I went back to as well. Uh, so I, I am interested in catching up with Metroid, and um, this one was uh, was one that was definitely on the list. It's one that I hadn't even dabbled with beforehand. I had played a fair amount of the original Metroid, if if not beaten that. I don't remember off the top of my head whether or not I have beaten the original Metroid, but um, but uh, this one is different enough from the original Metroid that uh, it. It, it doesn't feel contingent on the knowledge of the original to uh, to fully enjoy. Okay, cool. Leah, if you can take yours, please. Yeah, um, so I have been on a few of the Metroid shows that we've done up to this point. Not all of them, but um, at least a few. And um, I don't have a kind of lengthy history with Metroid. I, it's been a relatively recent thing for me. But I have played through and completed most of the games in the series. I, I'm missing a couple, and up to now I was uh, missing uh, Zero Mission. So I played it on. I played it very extremely legally um, on my Mister, um, which <laughs> was actually the first full game that I had played on the Mister. So um, it was kind of my my test case, and uh, worked great. Looked great. Uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of my history. I played it through a few weeks ago, uh, maybe a month ago or so. And um, well, I, I had some issues, but we'll talk about those when we get to the proper time. Uh, and that's that's me and Metroid for now. <laughs> Brian, please. Yeah, so I think I said this on the Fusion show. I the Fusion Metro Fusion was the reason I bought a uh, Game Boy Advance. So um, I had one after that, and then when Zero Mission came out, I just was you know in that zone where I was like, yeah, I was any major kind of big title that was well received for the Game Boy Advance, I was kind of scraping together pennies to play um, in and towards the end of college. So in my brain, I had finished this game way back when. So when it when it was on the list for Kane and Rinse, I put myself as green for it. But I can I replayed it via emulation um i still have the my original copy in my old full in my my blue um uh, uh game boy advance but i i opted to play it on my laptop and um so i'm going through it and and, and until basically up until the mother brain fight everything felt pretty you know normal to me and then Either I completely blacked it out or I never actually finished it once upon a time. The kind of last hour and a half, two hours of the game um, that happens after the Mother Brain fight, I I have zero recollection of. So I'm not sure if I ever did originally complete it, but um, I did this time and I played it through over the course of like two or three nights um, in the middle of March. So yeah, that's kind of... Um, it was nice to go back to because I, in my brain, I had already checklisted that off as someone that I finished, but now, now I actually think that I might have really finished it. So that's good some closure lovely yeah. you love to hear it uh my history well um i never owned it i i do in, in the same way i did with uh in the the metroid fusion show i have vivid memories in 2004 of being in sixth form which is education in uh, the uk at the age of what 17 18 huddled around my friend's game boy advance sp with the silver one with tribal tattoo on it oh yeah uh, the a old, glorious the only time game boy advance sp <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, back that screen, lovely. Still couldn't really see a great thing. I remember playing a lot of XV7 around the same time as well. It's a good, good positive time of life, but I never really owned Metroid um, Zero Mission. Uh, but um, I have since back, in, in much the same way as my colleagues here, emulated the hell out of this game um, many times over for that matter. I do own now a copy of the actual digital version of it on 
the Wii U Virtual Console. So that's legitimate enough for me, as far as I'm concerned, Your Honor. Um, <laughs> how 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 many times have I played it? I don't know, probably about ten times. Um, it's not one that I tend to go back to, um, and I guess the reason behind that is because, as I mentioned in the original Metroid show. Like, I have a lot of affinity for the original Metroid, a really positive experience of battling through some of that, like, late 80s exceptional levels of difficulty. I think uh, famously is probably a strong word, but they definitely do my own map for the original Metroid. Um, so I never really felt like I needed to go back there. I've got nice, strong attachments to that game. And it was kind of a nice, interesting, curious way to approach Metroid Zero Mission. Um, I've been over the course of this last week, probably completed about four or five times since then, just to try and sweat out a little bit more about some of the the shortcuts and the the mapping and doing low percent runs. Just generally trying to drive my time down. And this afternoon, I did go through and play it once more with a couple of game shot codes in there for like invincibility, just to see if I could kind of do a nice clean run as quickly as possible. And I think the quickest I can probably do it, it's not that impressive. It's about one hour and 28 minutes or something like that. So, um, yeah, definitely played through it a couple of times and um, pleased to be here. It'll be nice to kind of see how it compares with some of the memories of the original Metroid. So let's move on. We'll have a quick chat about the development and some of the kind of concepts and, and where the idea came from. Um, looking at Wikipedia, there was an interesting anecdote about how one of the actual developers approached Sakamoto-san to ask him to look at porting Super Metroid over to the uh, to the, the, the Game Boy Advance. Much in the same way Brian was talking about, it seems like a bit of low-hanging fruit that you might want to bring that through. You know, they'd already done uh, Super Mario Brothers 3 and, of course, Super Mario maybe Super Mario World, I can't remember, but they've definitely done a link to the past there. Why not bring Super Metroid over? Uh, but in fact, Sakamoto said in an interview with uh, Craig Harris and IGN, he said our basic development concept was that we wanted to return to the roots of the Metroid gameplay. I'm sure that you're aware that Metroid Fusion was a different style of game from all the other Metroid titles up until then. We wanted to show people who'd never played a Metroid game prior to Metroid Fusion where the roots of the Metroid franchise were. That is what Metroid is. This is the style of gameplay that Metroid sprang from. At the same time, retell the story of Samus's original mission. Um, it's interesting. I wonder if really it was necessary at that point to kind of return back to the original Metroid, if there was enough love for the series that they felt that there was a like genuinely a need to kind of do a soft reboot, a retelling of the original story to really ingratiate people back into that kind of fold. I don't suppose any of us have got any answers, but I'll throw it out there to see if anybody's got any strong feelings about that particular situation. I think it's kind of interesting that they chose to do so just in that some of the things that you would have discovered or that that would have been kind of surprises at at the time of the first metroid were pretty well known by this point like kind of what the situation was the fact that samus is a woman oh knows um but but you know it, it's not it's a familiar thing just for people who play video games and who play Nintendo games in particular, it, even if they hadn't really played that many of the Metroid games or hadn't played any Metroid games, they probably would have at least some idea of what the series was about. So kind of going back with that foreknowledge to the first entry in the series is, is it's an interesting choice, I think. And I, I, I don't claim to know whether it's a good one or a bad one. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I am. I think it's I think it's interestingly timed like 2 years after the release of Metroid Prime like mm -hmm. you have this new crop of younger people who are now into Metroid because of how well that game was received and how well it sold and everything and so here's like a 
Like, how do you onboard those people to, like, the lore of Metroid, right? Because, I mean, Metroid Prime has all the lore in the world if you want to scan everything, right? But, like, you know, where where did Samus get her start and all those things? So I could see that being, like, a uh, this is an appropriate time to go back and kind of re- retell that score story, give it, a, you know, polish it up a little bit, add a little more context to some of the things that... Because I, I... And, again, I don't know. I wasn't in the room. But I don't think at the 1987 Metroid they were, they were thinking about how people would be thinking back on this 15 years later, right? So, like, it's... Uh, you're now having to recontextualize stuff that you might not have even had context for to begin with so it's kind of an opportunity to you know start fresh or tell the story from the beginning again and but flesh it out a little bit more and 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 i i think it's probably an appropriate time for that whether or not that worked or not like leah said or whether it was a good idea i'm I'm not sure but um i thought it was pretty cool they took an attempt to like look back and see you know maybe where where some of samus's original motivations coming from the original conflicts and things like that The Metroid series has kind of an odd relationship with its own continuity in a way. Uh, Famously, the experiential narrative of each game resets at the beginning of every game because, you know, by some uh, something, I don't know, falling on Samus's head at the beginning of every game, like all of her suit parts are lost and and she has to go and find all the basic power ups and stuff um, kind of across each game. And so, you know, there is a kind of sitcom like reset at the at the beginning of each game and so the amount of the experience of being samus that carries over from game to game is fairly minimal but there is a a level of kind of shared continuity from a storytelling perspective um but it's very very light it's surface details that can be recounted in a matter of minutes like there are Metroid games that open with like unspoken cutscenes that basically catch you up on everything you need to know about the Metroid series to that point. Um, you know, I think with uh, with Fusion, I, I guess they they had text um, in the earlier games and definitely in Super Metroid, but Fusion was the one that felt like it was the more kind of spoken narrative heavy. Uh, of the uh of the kind of 2d mainline metroid series um and you know they started to kind of build out some reoccurring characters that would ultimately kind of culminate in other m uh recounting a lot of the lore that was established in fusion and perhaps delivering it in a less uh less palatable way and so i guess other m kind of as a test case and the fact that like I didn't remember that Fusion had so much narrative detail when I went back to it just this last year. I, I I tend to forget how much story there is in Metroid games. It's not a lot, but I forget the bits that are there. And so it kind of makes me wonder whether it's even all that necessary, um, this kind of series continuity, the storytelling continuity, or whether it could even be kind of like detrimental at points. Like I kind of like the x files the type of monster of the week scenario where it's like samus crash lands on a new planet and has to find out how to survive in this inhospitable atmosphere like that that to me is enough like category categorizing her as a bounty hunter um that has you know on and off again relationship with this kind of galactic federation like that's enough kind of auxiliary detail to give me the operational details to get me invested in the story to let me kind of have some 
some context that I can fill in in my own mind and all the kind of extra stuff about Adam and about the, you know, all these, the actual characters and the actual, you know, the actual story don't end up helping my experience that much. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if this was like a continuity reboot because there really isn't that much story that is delivered in here. And so with regard to like catching people up with the series, like this doesn't really do a lot to accomplish that task. If that was the task that they set out with, um, I just, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, if anything, it's, it's a chance to catch up with the game design of the first game, but yeah, there's story-wise, you're not really missing much regardless. Yeah. So, I mean, we're naturally kind of second on to the, the story and the scenario, but I think just to wrap up some of the, the kind of observations that I might have kind of arrived at on the development here, um, you know, looking at the game sales, obviously Metroid Prime at that point was the best-selling game of the Metroid series up until 2021 when Metroid Dread was released at 2.84 million. And then before that, you know, you're, you're looking at Metroid and then Metroid 2 Return of Samus, which was, of course, in 1991. So this game kind of sat in sort of mediocrity i suppose in terms of commercial uh success for a good 10 or 11 years and i can see why they may have wanted to sort of like look to soft reboot some of the actual lore a little bit just to kind of help people kind of bring themselves up to speed with where metroid is if they're looking to really put some some vigor and and some emphasis behind it and make it a bit of a mainstay and i think it's something you know possibly up until metroid dread has has never really kind of enjoyed like massive success when compared to some of the other metro uh, excuse me nintendo titles um throughout so it, it it sort of makes sense as well because obviously um the original metroid's deliberately inscrutable by both design and um limitation but if we can sort of naturally filter onto the story and scenario i think ironically for a game titled zero mission it seems to be a game of two missions uh and so what we'll do is we'll take those missions in, in two sections and part one we'll look at the um, retelling of the original metroid game and then part two we'll look at the additional content as samus has crash landed onto onto the planet and we get the zero suit samus section so just for context i've ripped this straight out of the uh, uh the, the manual for um, metroid zero mission it says in the year 20x5 of the cosmic calendar the space pirates attacked a deep space research vessel and seized capsules containing the samples of an unknown species that had been discovered on the planet SR388. If the space pirates were able to breed the Metroid and use the creatures as biological weapons, the destruction of all galactic civilization would be inevitable. As a last result, the Federation police decided to send a lone bounty hunter to penetrate the pirate base and destroy Mother Brain, the mechanical life form that controlled the fortress and its defences. Samus Aran eventually landed on the surface of Zeebs, Zebes, I don't think we've quite determined how that's pronounced, but we'll, we'll go with both, uh, and began exploring the planet. It was, in fact, the same planet where she had been raised as a child by the Chozo. So um, a couple of questions, and I think a statement first and foremost. How closely does this follow the original Metroid? I'm not entirely sure how au fait with the, uh, I guess, the lore in the original Metroid were, and, and are there any embellishments or changes? Brian, I'm going to come to you first. Yeah, so I don't know is <laughs> the real answer, right? Like, uh, the original Metroid, a game that I've spent dozens of hours playing over the years, like, I 
I barely remember anything about that story aside from the text scroll that you get if you sit on the menu screen and then the NES instruction manual, um, which, you know, which we got all sorts of great art and story from back in back in the days. But um, I think that taking the original concept or the, the initial like kind of conceit of the first Metroid game about, you know, why was Samus on this planet? Why is why is Samus fighting these things? What What is the actual task here and giving it that more kind of fleshed out paragraph that you just read about you know her motivations and and then also her personal ties to the planet do add a little bit more weight to your actions but i am also while while saying that and believing that i'm also firmly in the camp that ryan is also in when when he said like that that was cool that i got to learn all the stuff and see those little cutscenes and 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 learn a little bit more about what's going on I would have also been completely fine if it started out just with a smoking spaceship and and Samus just being like, lost my suit again. And they're like, okay. And then <laughs> here we go. You know, I, it doesn't add, it's additive, but it doesn't necessarily add to my personal experience, if that makes Indeed. sense. So I do know the answer, which was a bit of a leading question um, as somebody who kind of read both manuals in preparation for the show. And really the critical difference between the kind of reinterpretation of, of Metroid and Metroid Zero Mission is that it basically hones in on Samus's relationship. So there's no mention. I mean, number one, there's no mention of Samus being female in the original manual. In fact, it's quite the opposite. She's presented as a male deliberately. Um, there's also no reference to SR388 as a planet being anything to do with Samus. In fact, actually, it's just quite a bleak, sparse um, narrative in totality. So it's interesting that they've kind of went back and tried to revise some of the thinking after, certainly after Metroid 2 and Super Metroid, where they really started to sort of push the relationship between Samus and the planet itself and, and the Chozo race. Um, Ryan, I just want to sort of pose to you a question. like, How do you feel that the, the narrative such as it is is presented in the game, if indeed it is at all? I mean, there's there's not much in the way of... I guess what you would call like embedded narrative of like actual written written narrative but like as far as actual action based characterization uh the Metroid series has always been very very strong in that regard and this one is really no exception like the the you know the the small things like how quickly Samus just kind of acclimatizes to her new environments um I think one of my favorite details with regard to this communication of kind of like story tone and atmosphere through uh, just the way that the game like showing rather than telling is when you come across the um, the upgrades that aren't compatible with your suit at that point in the game just yet. Uh, and you get this like really eerie tone of, uh, of of music kind of playing in the background as you get these kind of scrambled letters, almost like your what whatever you've put onto your suit is like causing it to glitch out or something like that. Like that, if it, it, it makes it, it makes Samus feel very kind of improvisational. It gives this kind of almost like a body horror type of um, like a videodrome <laughs> type of like experience of like you know finding ancient cursed technology slapping on your own body and seeing if it does anything to make your own survivability uh, increase your survivability in this hostile environment like there's something about that that's kind of like uniquely horrific and this is the game that i think kind of best nails that feeling just with those like those strange moments that end up 
paying off tremendously towards the end of the game in that cathartic final lap, uh, which we'll get to. But um, but yeah, just this sense of like the sense of dread and the sense of uh, operating against your own nature. Um, I think in that detail and in so many more details of the the Metroid presentation, I think is is really strong. We'll have a look at part two. So um, this again from the manual, upon leaving the planet after a successful mission, space pirates vessels attack her starship. The ship crash landed back on Zebes, Zebes, again, <laughs> near the space pirate mothership. <laughs> Samus survived, but her starship and power suit were destroyed, leaving her virtually defenseless. While searching the space pirate mothership for a way to escape, Samus discovers the nearby ruins of the ancient Chozo temple known as Chozodia. Uh, Samus eventually encountered Mecha Ridley, a robot crafted by Ridley in his own image that had taken command of the ship during Ridley's absence. Upon defeating it, Samus was able to escape, uh, successfully escape the planet. So yeah, I mean, that is the the kind of full um, beginning, middle and end to that second act here. Um, And it's entirely new content. Um, This time, obviously, Samus is... um, If we can park our kind of thoughts and feelings about the the actual locomotion and all of the the game feel, if you like, of Zero Suit Samus, it's... um, We'll have a kickoff section to do with like, you know, why, why, why have a section with Zero Suit Samus? Like commercially, I don't know, uh, creatively, what, what's the imperative there? And obviously, is there any kind of noticeable difference in terms of like characterization of Samus between Zero Suit Samus and Samus with the suit? Yeah, you kind of like flirted with that concept before we came here, but I'm, I'm going to throw it to you just to say like, you know, how does the kind of delivery of pace and, and plot kind of sit when compared to that first act where Samus is very much that silent protagonist. Yeah, I don't know. So I, I feel like this is going to go into maybe mechanics a little bit more than you wanted. Um, but I, I just... So the arc that is presented, if I'm looking at it from a purely storyline perspective, works. It works for me um, to have the kind of the hero who, you know, climbs the hill and then has a big setback and then is able to triumphantly emerge from the other side. I mean, that's that's pretty it's pretty standard stuff. Right. And I, I think that that part is executed well. Um, pacing. I don't know it, it. Given that given that you are basically as powered as you are going to get at uh at one point immediately beforehand and then you are kind of brought to a screeching halt and told okay now metroid can crawl one of us had to say it um (laughs) it it i don't know I, i the pacing i didn't love um but i did think that the 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 actual narrative arc worked very well and i will have things to say about the gameplay because i didn't like it but (laughs) Uh, i really love this section i think it's really um it was really unexpected for me i i hadn't realized i because i i knew that this was a remake of the original metroid and so i thought when i beat mother brain that like oh yeah that's it i i've beaten metroid i have achieved what this game has set out for me um this whole extra chapter uh, was was a big surprise for me as a as a player um, coming back to it you know all these decades later and playing this after dread you know I'd heard so much in the anticipation of dread for how much fusion kind of paved the, paved the way for dread uh, but like even more so like this is pretty much Metroid dread like entirely 
all out there on the canvas, like all of the big surprises of Metroid Dread, all of the unique survival horror elements are right there on screen, fully functional, fully operational. Like the fact that this game didn't sell that well, I think is the only thing that kind of preserved that surprise for a lot of people. Um, it's an interesting yeah, you're right yeah. and that's kind of that's linked to why i don't like metroid Dread very much <laughs> but that's another podcast yeah yeah no that's that's totally fair i think that the story-wise it's so interesting because we i think about games like you know rpgs or like monster hunter where we spend so much time kind of enhancing our gear you know rather than enhancing like the the mortal squishy human underneath that gear you know monster hunter you you build up elaborate armors you empower your giant weaponized bagpipes and you go out and take on bigger and bigger monsters like that is the arc of the game metroid is very similar where samus is so kind of inseparable from her suit that empowerment of the suit is empowerment of samus like those two ideas are like one-to-one corollaries and so to have a section where samus does lose her suit entirely where she is you know basically justin baileying her way around this um this hostile station where these uh space pirates which were tutorial level enemies in in super metroid like they are things that throughout the series we have been conditioned to not be afraid of uh you know they're they're a little bit troublesome from time to time based on their positioning but more likely they're just going to make a a they're going to make an ascent up a long vertical shaft annoying as they knock you downwards rather than actually being a threat to your to your health like reinterpreting them as existential threats to Samus's health and to show kind of like how how kind of powerless we can feel apart from that power suit is uh such an interesting you know it's like it really takes it back to the Sigourney Weaver roots of the character you know it it feels very much like sneaking through the ventilation shafts of an alien movie it feels like um, it even does, and again, this is probably getting a little bit too gameplay for a scenario section, but just to, you know, add to the tone there, there are a couple of sections where it plays tricks on you um, with regard to its kind of visual language. It teaches you uh, via kind of color coding areas that should be invisible to enemies. It presents you one area where you can hide, and then there is just one of these little hidey holes that has a little ventilation shaft that a space pirate comes crawling out of while you are hiding from another one. And then all of a sudden you've got more of these monsters after you, like so many, like so effective little horror moments in there without ever being like truly, you know, scary, you know, this is still, it's not something that's going to put off fans of the Metroid series from like a, I can't play this. I, it's too horrific perspective. I think it's not like a, you know, it's not like they're sicking Mr. X on you from resident evil Two. It's, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's all very manageable. It's all very kind of genre adherent, but, um, but yeah, as, as far as like a, a shift in tone, um, that 
that disempowerment is very effective at kind of switching the power balance of giving you a different objective of of making you feel like instead of conquering and instead of you know combing every little bit of the map to power myself up i just need to find a way to escape and uh, and teasing you with that visual of the spaceship while you're still in that zero suit form that tantalizing like oh there's my escape route like that is what i want like i want i just want to get out of here you know um that is all very effective and then finding your suit later in this uh part two um not only as powered up as you had been at the end of the zero mission but um but giving you access to those additional uh scrambled upgrades that weren't able to assimilate with your old suit previously like that's that's very effective and then you know best of all it finally gives sam his shoulders again which is an essential part of the um samus character design that uh was sorely missing from the first two suits in the in the base game version of uh of zero mission and so yeah getting uh Getting fully powered up, having those shoulders, man, I was ready to take on the world at the end of this one. Right on, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's we'll talk about it when it comes to gameplay too. But that that moment that Ryan just so eloquently described, like that was like I I, I write down Lee and I talk about this a lot. We I keep physical notebooks and all these lists of stuff that I enjoy from games. I have top ten lists of all these nonsense categories that just I look at them like that's cool and then put it away. But anyway, so like. This that moment right there is like one of my favorite gaming moments like ever like historically one of my favorite moments after going through all those things that Ryan just described sneaking around that base and and being so vulnerable capable but vulnerable and then finally getting that powered up suit back and then all of your tormentors that have been chasing you are now just fodder you know I mean you are just just smoking it just like it's there's there's this catharsis that, that whole section brings. And while I agree with Leah on a lot of the gameplay aspects of this section that we'll talk about in a little bit, that moment to me justified all of that frustration. Like it was, it was such a. I th- I found the pacing of that to be incredibly well well done. While looking back at it, while in it, I was as frustrated I think as Leah will explain. But yeah, it's a pretty remarkable sequence of events. I think. Yeah. What I've done is um, pulled from the forum to bits of correspondence to kind of feed in on some of the visuals here, just to give a view of how the visuals aren't necessarily for everybody. So I've got first from Danny Spiteri, uh, writing on the Patreon. I return to Zero Mission every year without fail. I'd argue it all but reduces the original game to a curiosity for retro game fans and smooths out some of the control issues from Super Metroid. It feels like an incredibly refined Metroidvania experience with little bloat, and to me, this game looks and sounds absolutely gorgeous. I love Metroid Dread and it's shiny impressive, but the pixel art for Metroid is stunning and in my opinion, it never looked better than Zero Mission. And conversely, Alistair McGregor from Patreon writes, My biggest disappointment is with the game's visual presentation. The change to a more classic comic book aesthetic feels just a bit out of place for Metroid game in my opinion. Not a huge deal if it was reserved for cutscenes, but the majority of the backgrounds are drawn in this style which class clash with the excellent pixel art of the foreground elements. One could argue that this is to help readability of the player character and enemies, but for me, the backgrounds were pretty uninspired and lacking in any real detail. And I don't think that's terribly contentious. I think that kind of reflects some of the observations that I would have made as well playing through it. And um, just to cap off some of the information from the cutscenes, 
Uh, there are four visual cutscenes during the gameplay that display Samus in a power suit, excluding the landing cutscene. These cutscenes will appear visually different if Samus has obtained the various suit upgrade or not. I just thought it's a nice little Easter egg That's just to cool. kind of demonstrate yeah. Yeah. how the game can be sequence broke. And in many ways probably indicates that the designers wanted to sequence break that, but more on that later. So let's have a quick uh, chat about the, the audio in the game. Uh, it is a game, of course, that is a mixture of the original music that has been rearranged using the existing themes and some new, and adding some of the, the sound palette and um, musical themes that you might expect from some of the later games like Metro Prime. So, for instance, the use of like that kind of, um, I don't know, this might be a bit disparaging to say like that MIDI choir kind of... Um, mm-hmm. Gregorian chanting kind of thing. Brian, sounds like you want to yeah. come in. Got any well, interesting thoughts no, on the music? Yeah, I did, I've with, with the re, the minute you said MIDI, um, the chanting stuff, I, I agree with that completely from Prime. Um, having recently replayed Prime, the original Prime, not the remaster um, for the Kane and Rinse show last year, I um, I found the audio to be uh, like borderline off-putting at, at times. But um, here, I don't know what it is about a, a 2D. This is a 2D platformer. It's a Metroidvania. All those. It's got it's got a lot more going for it than a lot of other games do but like i love just a like a consistent looping theme you know what i mean i really do like when that original metroid music kind of remastered re-upped you know obviously modernized but when that's hitting and you're going back and forth it just makes because there's a lot of there's a lot of backtracking right there's a lot of going through the same hallways fighting the same types of enemies and it's one of those things that keeps you going we talk about it a lot when we talk about jrpgs and their battle themes and everything else like you need a banger if you're going to be doing the same stuff over and over again and i am i can confirm this game has bangers um i i it was a game that i quickly uh quickly became i'm wearing headphones the entire time when i'm playing this thing because i i love just the the way all of the combat sounds and enemy sounds are mixed with the themes, nothing ever feels like it's drowning another thing out. It just feels very well put together. You know, I don't, I know nothing about how to stitch those things together and make them come out sounding the way that they do. And and I feel like this game succeeds at that in a way that, um, in a game that could get really noisy with all of the, you know, the aforementioned pew pewing and 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 screeching of enemies and such, and, and the appropriate use of silence as well, which was <laughs> yeah. um, prevalent throughout the series. Ryan, sounds also, like you want to come in. Yeah, I mean the you know, like Ryan mentioned, the Metroid music is very strong. There's a handful of really, really kind of top tier compositions. The only problem for me is that the the great Metroid music, and you know, like again, it is great music. Uh, it so effectively evokes the mood that they're going for. Um, whether it's heroic or whether you feel like you're stepping foot in a in an ancient part of a sci-fi planet that no human should be able to enter, like the music is able to communicate that so effectively. But the problem for me is that the music tends to be reused so much across the series that it's it, it's difficult to kind of associate these tunes with like one particular space any longer. Um, yeah. I, like I, I think about like some of my favorite pieces of video game music, like uh, Majula from Dark Souls Two, and how it is so just one to one tied in with that space. Like it really evokes being there in particular. Um, and the Metroid music is very effective, but they just they they go back to the well too often, uh, and they kind of recycle the same music too often that it kind of loses its specificity in a way um but yeah i mean i i don't know if i could blame them they have 
such top tier music at their fingertips and disposal mm. <laughs> that I don't think I would have the self-control as a composer to not uh, at least evoke those original tunes. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, um, I've got a, a throw at you in a moment, but I just want to quickly come in and, and comment on that. I think um, obviously, you know, if you're going to harken back to the original Metroid, it's probably maybe responsible is probably a bit of too strong a word, but um clever to kind of reuse some of the the existing sort of structure that you've got there um a, a big thing that Makila and i were talking about in the original metroid and and leah and i were talking about in metroid 2 is the use of the kind of heroic themes at the beginning of the the game seems to be kind of bizarre um at least in my opinion like tonally dissonant with exactly what's going on you know samus is is at her weakest at the beginning of the game and no no more weak than the metroid one where you can literally die on the first screen if you haven't got your wits about you so to have this fairly jaunty kind of uh um brinstar theme going on there always felt slightly at odds but i do think they've kind of improved it a little bit with some of the kind of soundscape that was used in metroid prime so the use of the choral choir kind of does make it feel a little bit bizarre um and obviously i do want to kind of pay some credence to create's theme which is an all-timer as far as i'm concerned um there's some pretty poor reinterpretations of, of create's theme across the metroid series i would say uh some that kind of dumb down the kind of um i don't know like rock anthemic uh nature of it um but i think they've done a really good job of kind of keeping it as it was and just kind of complementing some of the sounds there in much the same as ways to have with everything else but Leah I want to come to you very quickly to ask how you felt about the sound in the second act of triggering the alarms as the space pirates were chasing after you and you get that panic inducing theme I feel like I'm being baited here Um, (laughs) well if what you want is for me to feel terrible then Metroid you have done your job Um, yeah I I mean I, I, I feel like this is probably a good place to segue a little bit into the gameplay um, because this is so I, I think that if I think that most people probably did not have as strong a reaction to the stealth section as I did. Uh, And I'm basing that on the fact that so many people seem to really love the same thing in Metroid Dread. Whereas that was the thing about Metroid Dread that drove me away the most. Um, I I don't enjoy stealth games in general, and because I'm bad at them. Like full disclosure, it, this is not this is not the game's problem. This is my problem. Um, and it, it just while I can see how it fits into this game in particular, I don't like it as a mechanic in Metroid very much because that doesn't seem to fit. As, as well as I would like. I I see Metroid as more of a game where I like to explore. And, you know, if what you're going to do is punish me by going into the wrong room, or punish me for, rather, going into the wrong room by, in Dredd's case, almost instantly killing me, then that disincentivizes me to explore. And it's a little bit better here in Zero Mission because... It's a fairly linear, like, you have to go here. You are not supposed to be exploring in this point, or or at least not very much. So the fact that when you are seen or, you know, it's it's a little less punishing, but it still is punishing because you get those those alarms and the the kind of flashing lights. You get some, some of the doors being locked down. You get 
stuff coming at you that uh, you can't do anything to. You can kind of sort of freeze them for a second, but despite the fact that this is supposed to be a freaking gun, you can't do anything with it. So, um, yeah, I, I, this was a real low point of, of zero mission for me. Um, and again, it's not the game's fault. I don't think that it was poorly executed. It's just not something that I specifically wanted, but at least it's pretty short. So there's that. Yeah. yeah that's the difference between this and dread, right? Is that like, this has that section and it, you know, it lasts, it goes on as long as it goes on. I think, I think I clocked myself about 45 minutes in that Sounds area. About right. Yeah. Um, uh, but the thing about Dread, and I know this isn't the Metroid Dread show, but yeah, those those areas keep coming up. Like it, you are you are presented with those about once an hour, or, or maybe a little bit more than that in that game. And um, so, if that's something that turns you off in this game, it's obviously it's going to be something that turns you off consistently in that game. Uh-huh. Um, and <laughs> I confirm. I don't I don't disagree with anything you said. Honestly, um, it's those section that's this section of Metroid Zero Mission was very frustrating to me. I found myself uh, hopelessly lost a couple of times in this section in a way that I didn't feel earlier. And I think the part of the reason is what you've already touched on, that like when you're lost in on Brinstar, it's okay because you just you might find some rooms with some extra missile tanks so you can poke around at stuff you might run into some things that you're not ready oh this room is you know i, I need the various suit for this room or i need this or that you you kind of make mental notes of where you're at to come back later but in this section if you if you if you get lost you're dead you know you just you're, it's over for you um i i found that taking the power away uh very very frustrating and like i said if it wasn't capped with that section of being all powerful at the end i would probably look back on it very negatively um but for me it was the the payoff was worth the frustration if that makes mm. sense for for me playing it i am um, generally i don't even think of it as a stealth section i mean for me this is like yaggedy sacks the game you know you just running past the enemies <laughs> activating them and then just finding a way to kind of just just move on so like i, I did think it was a particular if the intention was to create a stealth section i thought it was a particularly poor stealth section because i didn't really do a great deal of hiding it was mostly just running away um it's also very quick like you very seldom spend any time in in one point as leah says to be able to kind of get your um bearings and and, and find like exactly where you want to be and, and because of that you kind of end up not exploring which feels at odds like a perfect dichotomy but i'm willing to kind of give them benefit of the doubt and say that um that's probably quite intentional and, the, and that that space pirate that's just carrying your super bomb around just walking from <laughs> room to room he just like i get to see him i see him I'm like yep he's not gonna stay still can't do anything with that yet yeah. like it just was it it was enough of a breadcrumb to but, it, like i literally laughed out loud the last time because it was like the third time that i saw him <laughs> and he just got my got my they, i just got this thing you need in a jar i'm just gonna yeah. keep walking around with it you know I, mean, a, I don't even know where i don't know where this is supposed to go nobody gave me any mother brain's dead nobody's running anything anymore i'm just carrying this jar around like there is elements know, of like comedy there there's, no, there's definitely <laughs> sections where if you do the right thing you can force the space pirates to shoot one another in a comedic way as well so <laughs> I, I, I quite liked it this section really worked for me uh i'm not a big like stealth person despite like hitman being one of my kind of top three games um but hitman is like you find the right disguise and then you can pretty much you know as long as you're being smart about it. Like you can, you can roam, you can explore, you, you are kind of shielded from a certain level of danger 
if you kind of socially fit into where you're trying to get into uh, versus like I'm I'm really bad at the like Metal Gear Solid type of stealth where it's all about staying out of people's eye lines and, and that kind of thing. Like I, I don't understand how I'm so bad at those types of games because I like to think of myself as a fairly situationally aware individual, but, um, but every single time I think like, okay, I have a straight shot to the building I need to go to. Like there's always somebody from, from, you know, halfway to Montana that can, that has like a direct line of sight that triggers the alarm on everything. And so anyways, I'm I'm not a big like stealth person in general but um but for some reason like the way that these levels were presented um the save rooms were fairly frequent uh and would refill all of your health and I guess ammo wasn't really a consideration uh at this point in the game but it would refill your health it it made these feel like little kind of instanced uh well checkpointed challenges to go through and they were really more like spatial puzzle solving uh you know you would you would find ways to avoid as many space pirates as you could and then when you know you accidentally triggered one of them then there would always be somewhere where you could hide but you'd have to be a little clever about getting there quickly and using your recharging stun laser uh effectively which i think is another really smart move of the section trying to kind of move it into like a survival horror type of space you think about the uh slow guns of resident evil and how deliberate the aiming is like it it really does evoke that same thing here with a pistol that doesn't run out of ammo but it needs time to recharge between um effective like stun charges effect uh effectively it's absolutely useless isn't it i mean like the amount of times where you have one space pirate alone to to freeze it it it, um it feels like a like a small concession just to kind of give you a little bit less um disempowerment i would say yeah although i i think there's a there's a couple times when when you know that you're going to initiate an alarm you need to book it to the door and so before everything kind of goes to hell you fire off you stun one enemy and that gives you enough of a head start to to get there like those those moments of kind of you know panicked survival are uh i i think pretty effectively balanced with the kind of dread of uh just of crawling around of of staying out of sight um one of the things that i found really funny is uh so obviously you're not only avoiding the sight lines of enemies you're also avoiding like trip lasers and and stuff like that which are you know very well uh visually communicated um you know whether or not they're sometimes they're off screen you fall into one it doesn't feel like oh i didn't know if i earned that alarm going off but regardless like the visual communication of them is very clear um agreed there are these these kind of what I can describe as like cameras that kind of roam up and down on certain walls and you have to hide behind blocks. You have to like hang off the back of blocks uh, to avoid their, um, their vision. And then there's like a, there's like a shadow behind those blocks that shows you the area that the camera can't see in true stealth game fashion. Um, but as you're hanging off the block, 
your your foot is hanging down below and it isn't quite covered by the block. And I believe, I'm pretty sure I wasn't just messing up myself, but I believe the camera can see your foot if that's correct. If it gets yeah. all the way down to the bottom of the block. And so, you know, you think as a player, like Samus should just pull her foot up and not have it dangling down below. But it is kind of a fun additional challenge that you not only like these aren't spots where you can just kind of like park and observe your surroundings indefinitely, which a lot of those shadowed areas are in stealth games. Um, it, it's an area where you have to keep going. You know, there's a little bit of level of reprieve. This is your, this is your way to get ahead of the cycle of the camera, but you can't, you can't stay there. You can't park. You, you've got to keep moving. Um, it's just a, it's a funny little like trollish design moment um, that is from a character perspective entirely avoidable, uh, which makes it even funnier to me, I think. Indeed. And Leah, of course, we, I guess, answer the immortal question on everybody's lips uh, as part of Zero Suit Samus, which is, of course, why can't Metroid crawl? Well, of course, Metroid can't do a great deal, but Zero Suit Samus certainly can crawl. Um, famously, of course, the original Metroid uh, didn't have a crawl because it was easier to implement a ball than it was to actually animate a, a crawling animation there. It's a nice sort of, um, I, don't, I wouldn't say nod, but it certainly is nice to kind of get some closure on that pressing question which has haunted us all um on on suited samus in particular i think there's a conversation here about the sense of locomotion which is very different in metroid zero mission than in in any of the former metroids because it uses the same engine of course as metroid fusion but the sense of gravity is far greater in metroid zero mission and persists for pretty much every game certainly in a 2d sense and i guess uh like that that fixed camera perspective that uh, um, uh, Metroid Other M has where Samus is, is very weighty. The gravity is really turned up. And I have to say that that's something I very much don't like. I really like the kind of floatiness of of Samus in the early games. And I think it's like a series staple that um, I, I can't imagine ever is going to come back. Brian, thoughts on, on locomotion? Yeah, I, I was looking at my notes. It just like I, I must have written it four times down here. It was how tight it feels like it's just every jump feels short every jump feels tighter i found myself missing ledges or like in simple sections not like in not in areas where i was trying to pull off any particular thing a platform just kind of like those those tall vertical hallways just jumping from platform to platform i find myself just coming up short from time to time and it just felt heavy and now i know part of that is the fact that the last game metro game i played before this was fusion so you're talking there it's like a set of extremes with those games right like i mean fusion i believe the has the lowest gravity of all the games i I think we talked about that on that show and so that jump felt like you could jump for a million miles and then and then this game it just just you felt like there was you know rocks in her boots or something you know what i mean just something a little bit weighing her down um this became a pretty big issue for me and couple of the boss fights where you needed to be precise with those things. But again, that was a me not being able to adapt my style, you know, how I felt like it should naturally feel, but, um, everything just felt a little heavy. Um, now the sense of speed and stuff moving around, I, I didn't think was, was necessarily bad or, or, or worse. It's just particularly with the up and down locomotion. I did not have a real issue with the, with the gravity or with the weight. Um, some of the things that um got well one thing in particular that kind of got me was that 
grabbing onto the edges of the ledge was something you had to unlock, and that yeah. bothered me. So this is the um, power grip, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, which I mean, I, I guess that's sort of tied into the the fact that the gravity is 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 relatively high in this game. Uh, potentially, just you know, because you can't rely on your floaty jump to get you maybe just that little bit further you need to have the the specific this is latching on to the ledge but um yeah i <laughs> i didn't realize that when i started playing the game and i was like why isn't she grabbing on like what is happening here <laughs> so uh yeah that was that was a, a me moment again i think most of my problems with this game are really just problems with myself so um you know <laughs> little little uh little fun fun factoid there the biggest challenge that I had here was that I, I've always found the space jump to be a little fiddly. Uh, the fact that you kind of have to like change directions I'm to get the double jumping. jump to to initiate, uh, which I always have trouble with. Um, it, it, it's a very handy tool, but um, but yeah, it's it's a little bit fiddly to actually implement. But um, the uh, the shine spark is another kind of interesting inclusion. I know it's like a metroid mainstay and so we really need it but like it feels like there are so few instances in which you can even get enough speed to initiate a shine spark much less like put it to very effective use like this feels like a game that was not built with much of anything with shine spark in mind uh which it's difficult to pull off and so like i understand that like it's good that it's not required in a lot of areas but i can only think of like one puzzle maybe that really makes good use of it certainly one required puzzle yeah indeed that's what i was that's what i was gonna well no that's what i was gonna ask is is there any point in which it's actually required i couldn't remember because i mean i wouldn't be surprised if it was primarily even if it is required uh sparingly if it is primarily like a this is just kind of a nod to people who would know, right? Right, like a speedrunner's tool or something. I don't remember if they ever actually. Um, yeah, so say, there hey, is here's one. How you do this? You um, you okay. pick up uh, the shine spark and the speed boost um, after defeating Kraid, and in order to escape from the battlefield where you fought Kraid, you have to actually run through the wall. So that that's pretty much it. But of course, it's like it's now become a bit of a, a series thing, isn't it? Like, let's hide all of the most challenging power-ups behind a incredibly long and laborious and carpal tunnel and, uh, syndrome-inducing uh, um, shine spark um, setup. And it, it's the same with the, um, you know, the wall jump that was prevalent in Super Metroid. That is in here. You can go the entire game without ever needing the wall jump, but it's it's really important if you want to do some sequence breaking. So... We have returning all of the power-ups from the original Metroid, including Ice Beam, uh, Missiles, and uh, the Power Bomb. And luckily, the Power Bomb bouncing uh, jumps does return in this game after being so kind of like missing in the uh, Metroid Fusion, lamentably. Um, but we do have new items, including the Power Grip, which is pretty much the only, I want to say exclusive, but I guess that probably implies that it's a good thing. Um, necessary is is maybe the uh, the right way to phrase that um, power up in uh, Metroid Zero Mission. But of course, we got the return of the gravity suit, the charge beam, the plasma beam, the speed booster, the space jump, the super missiles and the power bombs from Super Metroid. Uh, one interesting addition is that new equipment, including ice beam and wave beams, which are your two uh, beam um, powers, if you like, they do now stack, so you don't have to switch between them as you would have in, in Metroid 2. Uh, 
So I'm going to pivot slightly and, and we'll have a chat about the world itself and, and the mapping of there. And um, the original Metroid, of, of course, is, is built up of uh, very few areas. You've got Brinstar, uh, Turian, Norfair, Craid and Ridley, interestingly named after the, the bosses that are there. But we've got some new areas in Criteria, Chosodia and the Space Pirate Mothership. Um, I think this is an interesting conversation about how... Um, the original map aligns with uh, Metroid from 1987. Um, Brian, I get this feeling probably you're probably the most familiar with it. Um, forgive me, Ryan, unless you are other than myself. Um, thoughts on how the, the map kind of clashes or complements the original Metroid? It's one of those things. It's, it's like, um, it. How do, it's hard to explain. The It gave me these feelings of almost deja vu where this layout of these things that I were seeing were so familiar. So like, like I had experienced it before. Like I knew, like I kind of intuit, I could intuitively know what was going to come next or what would come next. And then, uh, and then that moment would then be like, like just screeched to a halt and I'd just be faced with something that I had no recognition of at all. And it was an interesting sensation because that first Metroid game, I know you've, you've, you have so much more knowledge of that than I do, Rich, of of the map, you know, basically having a photographic memory of it. But um but I there are areas of that, particularly the first two or three hours of that game, where I I could probably still draw hand draw you some of those hallways. And most of the bones of that is still there. Like, you know, like certain areas where I know I can bomb the floor here, I know I can do this, I know I can do that. But then it would introduce just enough kind of subtle changes to the point where I still felt like I was not certain anymore and then the farther you go into the game i think the more it kind of deviates but like that first area probably the first hour or two of the game i thought map wise by my memory is pretty accurate to the original yeah yeah exactly um yeah it is i wouldn't say one for one but as near as damn it close um i think where it deviates mostly for me is um you know the main chambers the main corridors exists in the same way and a lot of the actual architecture that sits in there is identical the original metroid however works in carnal directions only because of course yeah. you can't have slopes and ramps in um uh, an nes game or you certainly couldn't without a great deal of uh, problems so there's a lot of kind of maneuvering and meandering around power bomb jumping and all of that sort of good stuff just mm-hmm. to try and sort of make it a little bit more engaging and interesting Critically, I think the the big difference, I mean, the map is largely the same, as I say, but the big difference is the placement of some of the power-ups. So in in essence, to defeat Metroid 1, you really only need bombs, uh, ice beam, and missiles, and mm-hmm. jobs are good, and you know, you can kind of get on and, and do the, the, the bosses itself. But in this game, what it does is it gates you, it requires you to go through certain Chozo statues to basically uh, unlock certain power-ups that allow you to break blocks. Critical things include uh, Ice Beam is placed in a completely different position in in, um, in Norfair. Um, the Power Bomb's pretty much in the exact same space. Same with the, the Varia suit as well. It's mostly mm-hmm. all there. It's just that it's slightly changed to kind of curate your journey in a little bit more of a, a kind of recognizably Super Metroid, Metroid Fusion kind of way as well. Yeah. Um, the, the, the interesting thing about those Chozo statues too that I did not remember from my first time playing through Zero Mission is that they they are kind of your waypoint markers as well. Like the, they give you that glowing spot on the map for your next objective, which obviously was completely not present in the first Metroid that didn't have a map. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so it, it does, it manages to feel nonlinear while also giving you pretty clear directions on, Hey, this is where you should be heading next. Yeah, indeed. I, I'm- it, for me, it, and I am 
maybe the world's worst person with directions. Um, it is it is possible it'd be a tight race, but um, I felt like they did an effective job with making things just visually. Imp I don't even want to say improving, but visually distinguishing some of the areas in ways that they weren't really in in the original metroid without a map in the original metroid and i did end up using rich's map i think um but um without actually having that in-game map to reference i got lost a lot just because everything kind of looked the same or looked very similar excuse me it looked very similar in some locations and i think that zero mission does a better job about making that not as much of an issue or at least it did for me so um they they get points for that it's I, again my fault but thank you for catering to me where the map is insufficient i think this game is a lot better than the original metroid and and kind of so one thing that metroid series does really well in, in my opinion is um secret areas are usually sort of given clues about um that's a really clumsy way of saying that there's quite a lot of clues scattered around the map to kind of give you or certainly around the visible screen as to like what you can do so quite often you'll see a river kind of floating underneath the screen in a way that actually indicates that you can go there even though it looks like a, a kind of blank area or there'll be a crack in the floor that um indicates that it's possible now to actually bomb that area in a way you previously couldn't uh the original metroid was pretty bad for actually requiring you to just go around and bomb every single space in the screen um in a way that was almost inscrutable um on the map itself i'm kind of curious about like ryan in particular your relationship with this kind of map for me it feels like these maps have become kind of industry standard something that's become so ubiquitous this kind of 2d map that indicates chambers and and all that sort of good stuff. Like, how do you feel about the maps implementation in this game, and for that matter, in, in all of the Metroid series and beyond? Yeah, I'm I'm playing so many of the Metroid games back to back right now that I'm having a little bit of trouble kind of disentangling this one from all the others in my head at the moment. But um, but I, I tend to like the the maps in the 2D Metroid games. Like the very kind of clear grid layout, I think, is really effective at um, giving me like. I generally know where like spatially I want to go rather than like remembering which specific room uh, I need to be in. And so, you know, you can, you could pretty effectively kind of work out a route to get to generally where you want to go by looking at these really clear and effective maps. Um, sometimes you'll find that routes blocked off and you have to take another whole kind of long route around. But um, regardless, I think the, the maps are pretty clear. I think there are a couple of the Metroid games. Prime definitely does this, and I'm still a bit cross about it. That uh, that don't show when there are not only like the secret walls on maps, but also like whenever there's like a pickup in a room. Like I, I appreciate the Metroid games that that display a little like empty circle on those spots rather than the ones that just don't give any indication that there's like a missile pack or anything at all. Like just that little push in the right direction of like giving me something to look for um is is helpful and appreciated uh but yeah i'm i guess i'm having trouble kind of pulling this one apart from like fusion and other m and prime and the other retro games that i'm playing absolutely 
New areas in the game include Criteria, Chozodia, and the Space Pirate Mothership, as we formerly said, and I guess that's probably to make it align a little bit more with Super Metroid because those areas are also featured in that game. In fact, actually, it's pretty much in certain instances a one-for-one with the Super Metroid game, so it's a nice bit of continuity that they've been able to pull in there. I think, um, in general, obviously the critical difference between this game and the original Metroid is the map and the use of it. And I wonder, Brian, if... Well, you're probably not the right person to ask here, but for, for argument's sake, is that sense of being hopelessly lost kind of gone from Metroid Zero Mission when compared to what was available in the original Metroid? Do you still feel the sense of disorientation that is kind of necessary or certainly kind of emblematic of what the Metroid series is supposed to be able to give you. Well, maybe not in general across the series, but of course the the early games and certainly Metroid 1 and Metroid 2. Or do you prefer that kind of like more guided structure that's available as part of like the way that the map works? That's a very, very good question that I'm not sure if I'm equipped to answer. But uh, I think the sense of being hopelessly lost is gone from this because there is always... A reference point to see what area you might not have checked or what room that has a little circle on it. Oh, there's an item there I didn't get. Um, or, you know, just the blinking icon the Chozo statue gives you. I think it makes it a better game. I think it makes it a better experience. I do think it takes away from the experience of the first Metroid, but I do think it, it's it's better for everybody who plays plays the game to have that there. Now, whether or not that's good or bad in the long run, actually the the game, and Leah will probably laugh out loud, but the game that made me feel this hopelessly lost actually reminded me a lot of the first Metroid was a recent release called Scorn. Um, <laughs> that game, I... And that game is very, not very similar to Metroid. It's similar in the sense that a lot of the visuals are quite samey. It's easy to get turned around. You don't <laughs> As really someone know. who has finished Scorn, no, it's really not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that that game made me feel hopelessly lost in a way that I felt like in the original Metroid. And it made me feel hopelessly lost to the point where I stopped playing it. Um, because I just didn't know what to do next, and I couldn't really get past the thing. And I was kind of like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do this. So I think for me... It does take away some of that mystery from the game, but when I played the original Metroid, I was playing on my NES, and it was one of four games that I had. It was like it was the game that I had. So whether or not I was lost or not, I was going to keep playing it because it was the game I had. As opposed to now, where you know if you get hopelessly lost or frustrated by something, you can turn to the twelve thousand other things at your disposal on subscription services and everything else. So I think that while it might not stay faithful to the original experience, I do think that's an overall net positive because it it would, if you frustrate the player intentionally in the way that Metroid, the original Metroid kind of did unintentionally, when you have the choice to make it a more guided experience, in big air quotes, I think you're missing an opportunity to, to have people get more invested in the game. I didn't miss it as much as maybe I thought I would, but boy, I do have wonderful memories of just combing over that first map in the original game, or combing over the, the areas in the, the original game, drawing my own map and trying to figure things out. I just think we've evolved past it, and I mm. think that's probably a positive, um, even though there are still some instances where I where I do miss it. Indeed. Was that a convoluted enough answer for you? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Weirdly enough, that lines pretty much with my thoughts here. But I'm going to pull from from the forum here. There's a piece of correspondence here from Jobo Bonobo, who writes, this is a sublime remake of the original Metroid that really elevates beyond being a mere paint job. Within minutes, I was completely absorbed into the world, and you keep expanding your abilities, weapons, and energy at such a swift pace that I was compelled to keep playing. The little indicator of where you need to go next is a welcome addition. You'll not spend ages faffing around and getting lost, but you're also not told directly how to get there. 
Figuring that out is up to you. It simultaneously respects your time and your intelligence. And perhaps Jobo Bonobo has uh, more eloquently described Brian Hobo if you and I feel about the game here. It's a sort of a nice blend of, look, you might want to go here, but how, how you choose to get there is perhaps uh, up to you. I'm just going to uh, edit my pair, my rambling out and just read <laughs> Jobo Bonobo's <laughs> correspondence as if it's my own, because that was, that was very well said. Indeed. So we'll we'll turn around fairly quickly to come back onto sequence breaking and, and linearity, which is obviously aligned with the map. But I do want to kind of touch here on some of the bosses and the mini bosses. In the original Metroid, of course, there was a game with three bosses. You had, of course, um, Ridley, Kraid, and Mother Brain, but uh, it's been expanded massively. So in this game, sometimes um, equipment and, and power-ups is, is aligned with uh, some of the bosses here. You would unlock them through going through them. Um, but it's a much more expansive game in terms of bosses and, and some of the puzzle elements of the bosses here. Um, I don't propose that we go through them all, but I'm, I'm going to push to Lear for the short term and ask if you can kind of give a view on if any of the bosses stood out to you. There's a list here. Yeah, I was actually curious about something um, that I'm not I'm not sure if I had the intended experience or whether I could have done better. Uh, but the, uh, I, I guess it's Deorem, de, mm -hmm. uh, the, the big centipede that you run into a bunch of times, is that, like, can you kill that thing faster or do you just have to run into it X number of times before you can actually defeat it? For so, good? yeah, Because it kept running away for me. I, can, had this, I had the same question, Leah. <laughs> me too. You can kill it on your first... Um, oh. encounter it only takes <laughs> three kinda, missiles of course but um by that point in the game you have five missiles in total yeah um right, well, i think the charge beam <laughs> is locked behind diorum who is of course i mean that is a purely optional weapon in this game and in fact actually charge beam is incredibly weak in uh zero mission when compared to the, the rest of the i don't the think i used well. it very much uh, but, at all actually but interesting, I mean, that's a boss you'll encounter in the first, what, five minutes of your gameplay as well? So yeah. it's a kind of yeah. statement of intent, really, isn't it? Look, we are kind of going to throw these curated events at you as quickly as possible as we go through. Brian, I want you to pump the brakes a little bit before you go mm -hmm. off on one about Mother Brain here. So sure. I'll, I'll, I'll pass to Ryan next. Anything interesting? I, I like that giant centipede as like a set piece moment right at the beginning um, because you fight it on your way back out through a standard kind of traversal hallway, uh, you get a few kind of earthquake rumblings um, as you're on your way through originally. And then you, you pick something up and you're on your way out. And then this giant monster attacks you in a space that doesn't outwardly look like a boss arena. And so for me, that has the, the, the kind of feeling of like an overworld boss in a way, like you would get in an Elven ring or something like that. And, um, you know, throughout this game, it does feel like you're beating off quite a few bosses. And I had to, you know, beat off Ridley at least twice. Um, but uh, it's, it doesn't feel like it overdoes it necessarily. You know, it feels like it just makes everything feel a little bit more dangerous. And I, I tend to prefer the types of bosses that feel more kind of organic rather than these like big uh, set piece trade fights and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, I think at the beginning, like you said, very, very quickly into the game, that as just kind of a table stakes setting moment, um, I thought was very effective. Yeah, indeed. Um, 
some stinkers as far as I'm concerned. Um, there is a boss called, oh, let me have a think about this. Well, firstly, I'll, I'll pull to Ridley. Ridley is true to form much in the same way as she is, uh, or rather he, or they indeed, in the original game, um, a cakewalk. You just run into their hitbox and spam as many missiles as possible. It's a significantly less sophisticated battle than any of the other Metroids that preceded it, except for the first one, of course. Um, but an absolute disgusting boss, as far as I'm concerned, is the ensnared Kirogiro, which is a boss that requires you to freeze the Ripper, stand on the Ripper, and then fire at some tendrils that sort of um, suspend the Kirogiro above the, the battlefield. That It's neither fun nor particularly very interesting, in my opinion. Um, it just requires you to have a fairly good timing, but of course the, the, the boss is kind of... Um, choreographed in such a way that it basically is just there to waste your time. Not 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 especially difficult, um, but uh, certainly not particularly very good either. Um, another boss that I think is a, a bit of a misstep, uh, and I, I suspect it's meant to be more narratively important than actual challenging in terms of gameplay, is the the Chozo Warrior engra- engraving, which is a I don't know a ghost of a Chozo that's holding a ball that has a reflection of Samus in it, and you have to basically time your attacks to hit it when it glows. I, I'm not really sure what the, the significance of that is or what the symbology is. Leah, I'm asking you to interpret <laughs> yeah, that You're asking me? me. <laughs> That's probably a mistake. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming that it, it has something to do with maybe her ancestry. This is like right after you get your suit back, right? Um so just I, literally I, before that this is the boss oh before that. right 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 um well then that 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 makes even more sense <laughs> question mark uh because <laughs> i i feel like maybe at that point it could be her ancestors or her um you know just the the protectors maybe um are testing her to make sure that she's worthy to have this suit back with whatever upgrades they've made to it in the meanwhile um, so I, I guess maybe that's what they're going for, but I did not enjoy those mechanics very much. I didn't think it was that difficult of a fight. It was just, yeah, it didn't feel very necessary. Yeah, absolutely. So Brian, mother brain. Uh, so this is Kane and Rince, not character issues, right? <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to say this in the, in the professional intellectual sense. I, so the Mother Brain fight is is one to one and a direct recreation of the Mother Brain fight from Metroid, which I really appreciate and knew exactly what I was getting myself into. I just think it's profoundly difficult. Um, I I'm not sure. Like, I said that I was having problems with readability before, and um, and maybe that's part of my issue. It's just there is nothing more frustrating to me than fall being knocked off that pedestal into the pit of lava and just getting smoked by projectile after projectile projectile and i was determined to not save scum and i was playing emulation so i could have easily you know landed a missile and save stated and moved on i i i did it the way the way the lord intended um but uh uh yeah i there is just something it's so chaotic and so noisy and i the the knockback is just so frustrating to me by the time i was done with that fight i was ready to swear off metroid games now that feeling lasted for about five minutes you know i still felt good that i beat it i just am i the only one is it a me problem with that fight okay no all right it is not okay i I, I agree with you it's there's just so much and i had an easier time with this than i did with the original mother brain fight from uh the nes metroid 
but it's still just it's a lot you know there's just and and intentionally so i guess but i mean my main method of getting through that fight was not dodging all the things and you know being skillful it was having enough health to take yes. the hits so that i could just kind of spam missiles whenever i could get a clear shot um and that's that's not for su for such a a important and impactful boss and, and you know just not even just for the game but for like the metroid series as a whole for something that is that just big you would it's just not in my mind a very good design for that particular boss it it just it it seems like it's less of a skill check and more of a did you do enough stuff checked and and that just doesn't seem to fit very well in, in this game for me um now i will say that um i did use save states but i did not use them in the fight i only used them before the yes. um like before the corridor because i didn't i just didn't want to and that's pretty much i i did not need to use save states very often because i think that they did increase the number of or at least it felt like they increased the number of save points so it was not as hmm, yeah. punishing when you did actually die um but yeah, that that section I did save right outside that corridor, and I'm like, all right, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> yeah, I the thing, it's it's one of these weird things because in my brain, like my 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 video game playing brains, like you know, I've played through Cuphead a dozen times, and you know, I'm not. It's not that it's the overwhelming projectiles or the difficulty. It's not that it's not difficulty that scares me away from games, and the dip, difficulty of certain games has has limited my ability to play them, and I think. Um, and there's conversations to be had about you know some of the boss fights, and we talked a little bit about this in the Metroid Fusion show. It's just this is maybe the only point of a game in quite some time where I felt that it was unfair and not my performance that was lacking. Now I've watched you, Rich, and I've watched Ben Cartledge, um, you know, from One Credit Classics, just just <laughs> masterfully execute this fight. So I know there's a path to get there. I just don't think I'm willing to put myself through what it would take to to get good in the biggest air quotes you can imagine um and another thing too that you know you have that fight and then you have your shot down you have the cell section and then the final boss of the game mecha ridley to to me was a cakewalk compared yeah. to that fight against yep. mother brain yeah the mother brain i mean I, I, I didn't find it overly complicated i think there's there's an element of like it's a very rhythmic fight so if you kind of get into the rhythm of defeat, like destroying the Ringos, jumping over the eyeball that then, you know, shoots the projectile and then avoiding the laser beams, it can it can get quite kind of straightforward. It's more of a kind of test of your consistency rather than your ability. One thing I was playing through that today and, and it occurred to me that it's actually a little bit of a fairer battle than the original Metroid because it does allow you to farm for missiles in a way that the original Metroid didn't. Like if oh, you went into that final battle with not enough missiles, well, tough, like that's it. You just not, you, you can't get through the Zebitites. Hmm. Um, it, it, it isn't there. Um, but I do agree. Also, I don't think they grow back, do they? Or am I? Uh, they am I do, but they're much they more like they're much Slower. more kind of forgiving in this than than the original ah, Metroid. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yes, it's um, yeah. I mean, it it it's not great. <laughs> I'll, I'll give it that, but it, it certainly does feel like a spectacle, and and the music and the kind of like body horror element of it is is just as kind of prevalent as it was there in the beginning. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
I also have logic issues with the fight. I don't know why I'm bringing logic into it, but um, <laughs> is the eyelid really strong enough to not make the missile damage it? It's a, it's the brain is exposed. I should be doing some damage to that organic matter, even when the eyelids shut. All right, that's all I got. Yeah, Sakamoto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I, because <laughs> I, you know, Brian Edwards, classic video game designer, you know, <laughs> the, the creator of legendary sequences. No, it just. It was one of those things where the frustration overwhelmed, I mean, outweighed the satisfaction for me. Indeed. That's that's really all it, all it boils down to. So let's pivot again. We'll move on. We'll have a, a quick conversation about sequence breaking and linearity. Uh, a quote from Sakamoto again from the interview with Ajen. He reads, uh, or rather he says, Fusion was a very linear game, whereas Metroid Zero Mission gives the player much more freedom. And in that sense, it's difficult to compare the two games because the way people play one player may go straight through, whereas a person may want to explore around. They're approximately the same size, with Metroid Zero Mission being just a little bit larger. Um, Ryan, sorry to kind of put you on the spot here, because I don't suppose that you went round sniffing out uh, sequence breaks and such, but um, have you got any interesting thoughts on the way that um, Metroid uh, Zero Mission kind of handles different sequence breaks or, or not? Uh, interest, yes. Thoughts, not really. Um, yeah, I'm not really an <laughs> expert when it comes to this type of thing, unfortunately. Yeah, so, so I mean, I can lead into this because I was practicing some of this today. The, the, the key to sequence breaking in this game, as far as I'm concerned, is um, bomb bomb jumping and uh, wall... Uh, I don't really know how to say it, like wall bouncing. Um, both very difficult. Both of which I'm achieve. terrible at, so yeah. I'm probably not going to be doing I, I don't much know. of that. Guys, it, it may just be me. I, I don't think I could ever get the right rhythm of ball um, bomb jumping in this game. It was really difficult, but some of them require to actually do not just a vertical ball bounce, but actually a kind of vertical and horizontal ball bounce, which is just a recipe for disaster. But the biggest uh, sequence break in the game, as far as I'm concerned, is the early Ridley sequence break which occurs just after you pick up the ice beam. I think we talked about this a little bit earlier. There is a, it's, it's called an intended, although I'm not entirely sure how intended is. I suppose it's put in there, so by nature it's intended, that allows you to go straight from um, basically Norfair all the way down to almost next to Ridley, which basically saves you, I don't know, probably about an hour of gameplay if you don't know what you're doing, maybe even more. And that allows you to take um, Ridley before you take Kraid. And as a consequence of that, it allows you to unlock super bombs more quickly to the extent where when you get to Kraid, you can basically defeat Kraid with three super bombs. An already fairly easy boss um, made even more trivial. And that essentially allows you to basically take the game in, in any order that you like. And so it's it's largely quoted as one of the most kind of friendly and purposefully breakable um, Metroid games in any of the series um it, it's because of that i think it's a significantly less linear game than um metroid fusion and it is also a short feeling game to me um i don't know if anybody else found that it did feel a little bit shorter despite being bigger than metroid fusion brian i think i beat this game in two settings maybe three and i feel like metroid fusion i i came back to a number of times and i think i think maybe the reason for that is because of the linear linearity of fusion like it felt like there were direct like stopping points right like i did what the computer told me to do i'm gonna take a break you know i'm just gonna i'm gonna handle this game like missions and less like this kind of sweeping adventure so but yeah no i would just i would just kind of sit there and just plug along plug along next thing you know i'm at mother brain and then you know Rid then uh, mecca ridley and done it was um it, it did feel like a 
pretty short experience, despite the fact that my clear time, I think, like you said, Rich, was equal to, if not a little bit less than, I mean, a little bit more than Fusion. So a little strange, just Fusion feels naturally more segmented than this game to me. So, yeah, I um, I think I actually feel like this felt a little bit longer or bigger than um, than Fusion did. And I think it's related to what Brian was talking about, because in Fusion, it is very, very directed. And I didn't hate that, because as we've covered, I get lost sometimes. So I kind of appreciate it when games tell me what I'm doing wrong. Uh, but this was Zero Mission, that is, was a little bit more to my taste that way. It struck a really good balance, because it did tell you where you were supposed to be going, but it didn't like immediately point you in like the exact direction you could it felt more okay to explore in zero mission than it did in uh than it did in fusion just because it was you know it, it's more of a suggestion than a a, a, a a here is exactly what you need to do that you need to go here and hit this switch and then you can go up here and hit this switch and and i like I, again not a bad thing in my opinion but i i did feel that fusion was a little bit more handholdy um almost to a point where i can see where people would be turned off by it uh and zero mission was better about that indeed in terms of gameplay and, and speed, looking at speedrun.com, a 100% speedrun is clocking in at 1 hour and 5 minutes or 46 okay. minutes and 18 seconds of in-game time. Whereas, I mean, any percent is always a, an interesting um, category because, of course, it kind of it can encounter a, a myriad of different glitches. But in any percent with no glitches, the current record holder is C. Scotty W. And his time is 36 minutes and 52 seconds. So comparable to the original Metroid, to be honest with you. That's not bad, given that it's uh, significantly more sophisticated and long. Of course, in Metroid Zero Mission, difficulty is a factor. The game offers easy and normal game modes as a standard with a hard game mode that's unlocked after an initial clear. In normal game mode, the player takes more damage recovers less energy and encounters tough enemies when compared to easy. And in hard mode, energy tanks give you 50% of the energy as opposed to the usual 100 bars. Missile tanks only give you two extra missiles instead of five. Super missiles and power bombs tank only gives you one extra round of ammo. And some enemies inflict more than 50% damage than in easy and normal. And that, that is quite significant because there's certain enemies in the game that I can actually kind of really pump about an entire energy tank worth of damage in, in normal mode anyway. Um, and just as a general observation, actually, was something I was thinking about while I was reading that out is significantly less need for energy tanks in this game than there is in Metroid Fusion. I think that game threw energy tanks out at the wazoo, so it's nice to see that this one's a little bit more reserved. It, things have more meaning and, and it's a bit more comparable with the original Metroid. In addition, of course, the Metroid series staple is uh, endings. And so in this game, there is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different endings, depending on how you complete it, on which difficulty it is, and how much percent of the enemies you have. Uh, the worst, I suppose, uh, ending would see you have Samus superior in a top rocky terrain sporting her gravity suit. And the best ending, which would be uh, hard mode, under two hours with 100% of the items, is Samus standing atop a cliff looking over... Sorry... Samus stands atop a cliff overlooking the unknown city at night in her 
it's not even zero suit. It's like a sort of like tankini thing that uh, she has in, in Metroid 2, I think, or Super Metroid or something like that. So a, a nice range of, um, <laughs> nice is a loaded sentence, a expected <laughs> range of smutty uh, material available for you, depending on how much time you can uh, you can go and, and pump into Metroid there. Some interesting Easter eggs, trivia and cut content suggest that uh, Crocomire was in the original source code of the Data for Zero mission, but was an unused sprite, so was cut. In Metroid Fusion, Samus mentions that the Eticoons and Decoras had taught her maneuvers she did not know that she had, but she is able to use these abilities in Zero Mission, so some wonderful internet pedantry if uh, if you're interested in, <laughs> in the general chronology of Metroid. And, of course, completing the game in any difficulty unlocks the full ROM of the original Metroid to play in its entirety. Finally, the game is compatible by connecting with uh, Metroid Fusion, and doing so unlocks a gallery of artwork from Metroid Fusion to be visible within Metroid Zero Mission. So we'll close the conversation here by pulling from our correspondence, and I'm going to really lean into my um, fellow co-hosts here and their dulcet tones to help me read. So, Brian, can you take Robin and Rico's from Patreon, please? Sure. Uh, Robin says, I had to think about it for a second, but I've only played through this game once. It should, in theory, overwrite the original. In all measurable ways, it is the better game. But there is just something about the incredibly harsh edges of the original that have me going back to that more than this remake. Zero Mission is a great Metroidvania, but I don't know that we'll ever see another game as strange and alien as the original Metroid. Jobo Bonobo from the forum says, This game also does a really good job of capturing the tense atmosphere of the series. The appearance of that centipede boss who would attack you while you're going down a corridor really gave me a jump whenever it appeared, highlighting how the entire environment is fighting against you. Later, this tension is repeated when you're just in your zero suit with a piddly pistol and you are trying your best to sneak around the space pirate ship undetected. Once you get your power suit back with a bevy of new abilities, you are truly on one of the most satisfying power fantasies that I have ever witnessed. Those space pirates are now destroyed by a single screw attack and the space jump makes those deep underground shafts a trivial matter. Zero Mission, for me, is the benchmark by which all remakes should be judged. It improves on the original in every way and adds so much that going back to it is rendered completely unnecessary. Uh, Ryan, can you take Ben Johnson's, please? Ben Johnson from Patreon says, I was so excited for this game that I had my brother ship a copy to me from the US while I was living in Germany because I didn't want to wait for the EU release for two uh, two months later. It was worth it. Just thinking about it makes me want to dig out the cartridge and return to ZB's. There's the third um, interpretation of that planet's name, Ryan. <laughs> we have well to do done. it differently each time. I think we should time. just say it differently every single <laughs> right. time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Alistair McGregor from Patreon writes, I recently finished Metroid Zero Mission on my analog pocket. I was looking forward to this one as it's one of the few Metroid games that I hadn't played. It both delivered and disappointed me in equal measure. This is a good Metroid game. Samus controls well with more agile moveset and all of your favorite power-ups are present and correct. The updated music and sound design is well implemented and will have you tapping your feet along to those classic tunes. Although more linear in its design, the, ha- the light hand-holding has just enough wiggle room for players to explore and get lost, which it did. Amazingly, after all these years, I didn't know about the Zero Suit section, so that was a nice surprise. Not my favourite Metroid game, but if you're still a fan of the series, I would recommend it. Just don't expect a classic. P.S. Expletive, the Shine Spark puzzles. <laughs> uh 
Buskalili from the forum says, Zero Mission was the first Metroid game I played to completion on an original model GBA over the course of a summer vacation trip to visit family in Cornwall. It was my introduction to Metroidvania as a concept, to this cool sci-fi side of Nintendo with an atmospheric musical tone. It isn't quite Super Metroid on the GBA, but it's bloody close. I replayed the 2D series from Zero Mission through, through to Dread last year, and this game held up great. It's a remake of the original in the style of Super Metroid, but in many ways, Super was already a remake of the original. Chunky 16-bit sprites played on a Game Boy Micro is the ideal for me. I do think Super Metroid is the better game, by a whisker, but I wish it had been released on GBA. And while we're at it, I wish Metroid 2 had been remade for that machine instead of the 3BS. Don't get me wrong, I love Samus Returns, but for me this style is peak Metroid. If I could play the full on, excuse me, if I could play the full 1 to 5 run with that visual and audio style and that tiny little form factor, it would be all I played for the rest of my days. Wu King Long from the forum says, I played this a couple years ago and loved it. I don't get on with the original Metroid, but love Fusion and I'm a sucker for GBA games in general. This smashed it out of the park on all fronts and is most definitely one entry in the Metroid series I wouldn't mind replaying once in a while. And finally, Joey Jojo Jr. from the forum says, while I think Super Metroid and Dread are the better overall games, if you asked which game of the series I would want to replay, Zero Mission easily comes to the top for me. While in the show... While the short length compared to others in the series may be seen as a negative, for me, it means I come back to this game more often than any other in the series, helped by the gorgeous pixel art and the razor-sharp controls. Hoping this is added to Switch Online soon so more people can experience this game without paying the exorbitant prices even the cartridge alone goes for online these days. Thank you very much, guys, and thank you very much for the correspondence. Of course, if you have any thoughts and feedback on any of the shows that we're covering, by all means, please do sign up with the forum and go and leave the feedback. Um, the the forum correspondence and the Patreon correspondence really made my job very easy putting the, the show notes together today because it, um, it was exceptionally well thought through. On to three-word reviews, which of course goes up on the day of recording. We put a tweet out to ask for the three-word reviews, so if we can start with yourself, Brian. Mm-hmm. Jobo Bonobo says, Gold Standard Remake. Blue Weasel Breath says, The Definitive Version. Game Game Show says, Blue Space Booty. Why did I give myself that one to read? (laughs) (laughs) Josh 101 says, Golden Standard Remake. Robin Hoodie says, Fusion with Super. And Andrew Elmore says, A Bit Misled. Now, Full full disclosure, we talked about this last three-word review in the green room before we started recording, and we don't understand what that was a reference to. So if you could just write in or tweet and tell us, <laughs> we're dumb. It's me. I'm dumb. So, um, yeah, it's there, there you go. It's behind the peak behind the curtain here. And I feel like I've just had my trousers pulled down in front of everybody. Thanks, Leah. Uh, well, yeah. we all pulled our trousers <laughs> down. It's okay. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I get the sense that we all kind of land fairly similarly. So as uh, as is tradition, we like to kind of put an effort to go from, from least enthusiastic to most enthusiastic. I don't think this is by any means an indication about who, who perhaps felt uh, least inspired by it and, and, and whatever the case may be. But, but we'll start with yourself, Ryan, please. Yeah, sure. Uh, I like this game a lot. Um, I think it's a... It's a very, very solid Metroid game. Uh, I'll speak about the first three quarters in particular um, as being perhaps non-essential if you've played Super Metroid or any of the Metroid games since. Like, it's not going to really do anything to 
revolutionize the way that you feel about Metroid. It's not going to necessarily fill in any missing backstory. Um, I think that the last quarter um, makes it all feel like a worthwhile development effort um, more than anything. Uh, but I think more than anything, my prevailing attitude coming out of it is that this is a very, uh, a very solid workman Metroid game uh, that does everything it needs to do and executes on it very well without inspiring perhaps like a ton of enthusiasm um, or it, it, at least it doesn't invoke a ton of novelty uh, compared to the rest of the Metroid series. Um, I think that the last quarter, this this additional chapter that was added on to kind of uh, perhaps build out the length of the game uh, for the the early 2000s audiences, uh, I think is very unique. I liked it a lot. Obviously, you know, your mileage may vary on it as being kind of an extended stealth section, but um, the change of pace, the recontextualization of Samus as a character and um, the more kind of puzzle-oriented uh, design of this this post-credits section, as it were, um, I thought was really interesting um i i i like this section better than i liked the horror elements implemented into metroid dread uh so i think with that kind of appended on to you know a very good workman metroid game altogether it creates a uh a very good metroidy type of package um i think my this goes back to kind of my thoughts of the series overall um I think that Metroid has a little bit of a problem with, I guess, feeling too similar to one another from game to game. Um, I like this idea of Samus as this kind of intergalactic bounty hunter going from planet to planet and having these wild adventures and finding strange alien technologies and appending them onto her suit, uh, you know, extending her uh, instrumental self uh, in a way. But the fact that so many of these games end up with fairly similar feeling samuses um it feels like it kind of under delivers on the on the premise in a way and i can't really level this complaint at this particular game because it's a remake of the first game in the series the game that kind of originated most of the tropes that you know the rest of the series carried forward but i would just i would love to see future metroid games kind of expand beyond just charge beams and missiles and the expected set of metroidy upgrades um you know I, i'd like to see a little bit more kind of diversity in uh gameplay options from game to game but um but as far as the metroid series for what it is right now this is a, a very good game uh perhaps non-essential but uh but very well designed and um and enjoyable Good stuff. I know that you uh, steered well clear of like any kind of narrative enhancements, which uh, we'll get to when we get to other M, um, and we'll see what the vociferous response is for that. Good stuff, Leah. So I really like the first two thirds of this game. Um, I I think that actually I might like it a little better than the original Metroid, and the reason for that is not because I don't like the original Metroid, it's more because in order for me to enjoy the original Metroid without 
like much nostalgia for it. Like I, I didn't play it on the original NES. I, I, I came to it relatively recently, as I've talked about in previous shows. But uh, in order for me to enjoy it kind of on its own merits, I need outside help. I need to draw it, whether that is from my own research and, you know, taking notes or whatever, or whether it's from getting a map from somebody who has already drawn one. Um, it, it, it's not as, I guess, user-friendly, maybe, and it doesn't have to be. It's still a good game on its own merits, but Zero Mission kind of takes the things that I would have done with the original Metroid and makes them part of the game. So I think that, for me, this is just a more accessible way to play that and to get that experience. And for that, I really enjoy what it does. I think that it's fantastic in, um, as I, I went on about before, you know, kind of pointing you in the right direction without necessarily um, just kind of guiding you there step by step. The last third of the game, um, I, I don't know. I don't think it was necessary. Um, it's kind of cool that we get a Mecha Ridley. I, I did I did enjoy that. Yeah, Mecha anything is is really gonna you know just give give the game a plus one probably. Um, I but in 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 all seriousness, I I didn't hate the the last third of the game, but I did not care for the section which then got expanded into a full game that everybody except for me seems to like in Metroid Dread twenty years later. So. I, uh, I, I'm not, as I say, I, I'm not crazy about that section, but it was short here, so I can forgive it that, and you do get the, the pretty amazing moment that I'm sure Brian's going to talk about, um, when you get your suit back, so, uh, it's, I, I don't think that it hurts the game in any appreciable way, um, or at least not a major one, uh, but, but it was something that was kind of a knock against it from my perspective. So I would recommend that you play Metroid Zero Mission. Getting a hold of it is dicey, but there are ways, as you have heard from all of our <laughs> um, our uh, experiences. So um, yeah, I mean, maybe at some point they'll bring it to Nintendo Switch Online. I would guess that they probably will at some point, um, because it's a game that they own, and eventually they're going to run out of games that they own to put on that, <laughs> that they're willing to give away for free. So, um, or free, air quotes. But um, yeah, I, I liked this game a lot. I, I think that it's definitely worth playing. I think it holds up very well, and I think it looks great if you play it on a larger screen. So um, yeah, good times, and uh, I... Don't know if I'll play it again anytime super soon, but it's it's a pretty pretty high on my list, I would say, uh, of Metroid games. Can't can't wait for other M, I guess. Well, gotta control the flow of Metroid games to keep the the heat off Metroid Prime Four. I'm sure. So obviously <laughs> we've got um I've got this Metroid Prime Four in 2027. <laughs> yeah. Metroid Prime Two and Metroid Prime Three. Why not just get them get them out in Nintendo? Yeah, uh, myself next. Um, I wanted to like love this game instead i merely very much like it um which is damning with fame praise um if we take the latter half again half maybe not the right word take the latter section of it with zero suit samus um i think it's funny it's like the benny hill theme of metroid um it's uh, a pretty bad stealth sort of implementation i don't really as i say think that stealth is what it's going for but i admire that they put it in there it's much more of a kind of platformy section and it's just nice to see them kind of sweating the asset a bit and doing something interesting um where the meat of the game is of course for me is is in the the original kind of first two thirds and and the retelling of the the first metroid game and if i'm being 
brutally honest with everybody about this, I way prefer the original Metroid, and it's probably a kind of combination of rose-tinted glasses mixed with just a general feeling that I get when I'm playing the original Metroid of kind of overcoming the complexity of how... Well, complexity is, again, not the right word. Um, the, the simplicity, maybe, is, is the right way of doing it. The, the antithesis of complexity um, of the game design of the kind of um, lack of um, UR, UX is pretty poor. It It just gave me a really kind of wholesome... Um, positive feeling of like actually it reminds me of how I used to game when I was a like three-year-old to ten-year-old I would say without any kind of guidance and this game can be a little bit kind of handholdy in a way that's I wouldn't say condescending but detrimental to the overall experience and betrays some of the actual sort of sense of helplessness the the loss that you experience when you're playing the original game um, it's a it's a fairly robust game it's fairly easy to kind of get along with and similarly it's also fairly easy to break so i get the feeling that kind of um walks the fine line between what people want out of a modern metroid while also kind of giving you just enough to make you kind of feel like it's a sort of representation of the original one i just um i just can't help but feel like the original metroid game was such a kind of positive experience for me over the last couple of years and if i'm being honest with you if i want to play a kind of sophisticated Metroid game, then I'm pretty much going to want to go back and play Metroid, uh, Super Metroid all, all day, every day. So a, a bit of a mixed bag, mostly positive, however, and an easy recommend. Um, I think when it comes on Switch online, which it almost certainly will, you're guaranteed to have a, a really decent time playing it because it's a solid Metroid game. So Brian, let's go off with yourself. Yeah, I just, again, that's echoing a lot of things that have already been said, but I think it's... Like two D two D Metroid games are good, huh? Like this is another example. Like it just there's a reason that we refer to an entire genre of video games as Metroidvanias, and this is just another example of taking already good design and iterating on that same design and making it better and 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 a little more seamless, a little more friendly to the player. And whether you agree with all the changes that were made or not, um, and there's some that I enjoy. I wish they made more changes to the mother brain fight personally, but um, they, I think they nailed what they were attempting to achieve. And the, the thing that kind of maybe the more divisive area of this game being that back, that back third, I really did not like the stealth sections of this game at all. I, um, like playing through that, I felt like uh, compelled to move forward because I wanted to finish it for the recording, but it just nothing about playing that section felt good at all. But then you get to the moment where you get all your stuff back and that moment where you have now gotten all of your power ups back, you're in, you're essentially overpowered from the enemies that have been chasing you the entire time. And you are just able to run through the area that just brought you so much pain and just decimate everything in your, in your, in your path and and close out that game on just what is one of the more incredible highs I've felt in games in a long time. Like it just like it reinforced the nature of Metroid, the nature of what it feels like when you've done all that legwork, collected all those things, went through all the different hallways, got all the upgrades, all the little things that you've done to build yourself into this mechanical wonder. And you can just go through and just lay waste to these uh, space pirates that were just kind of, you know, really a pain in your neck for the last 45 minutes. Like 
it, it just is like a reminder of what you did throughout the entire game to, to get that powerful. It, it reinforces the nature of building that suit and getting all those pieces and why they're important and, and, and how limited you feel when the, that power is stripped away. And while, yes, that those moments of gameplay leading up to that, I thought were not very good. That that freaking payoff at the end was just like it, it gave me everything I wanted and more. And so when looking back on Metroid Zero Mission, like I, I'm not sure it's probably not my favorite Metroid. It's it's I, I could think of another bunch of games in the series or in the genre that I'd recommend to you before this. But as far as like moments in video games, that one is up there. And so, yeah, I, I can't recommend it enough just to get to experience that and just to kind of play through a piece of history that has evolved and kind of see the nature of how these games have evolved over time. I think you could do much worse than playing this game. And I think as Leah mentioned, uh, if you want to play this before it comes out on switch online, there are plenty of ways to do so. So I recommend that you do if you haven't already. Uh, an endorsement for, for piracy. That's uh can of rinse for you. <laughs> <I'm> sure. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not endorsing. We're just saying that it's, you know, if Nintendo doesn't want to make it easy to play this game, hey, we're ways. the real victims here. We're not endorsing yes, it. We're um, just saying so... that it's great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just saying that it's rules and why are you already doing it? Uh, okay, so um, moving swiftly on from uh, some litigious issues there. Uh, if you want to follow um, further Metroid, uh, the Metroid series games, uh, we're going to be covering in issue 592 later on in volume 12 and in quarter four of 2023, it'll be Metroid Prime 2 Echoes. And so it remains for me to thank Ryan, Leah, Brian, and editor Jay as well as our correspondents and our listeners for listening. Next time in Canaan's issue 567, join Ryan, James, Jesse and Brian as things get spooky and the panel discuss Luigi's Mansion 2, Dark Moon. Mm-hmm.